John Ziegler here. Excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com, promo code John Z. This is episode number 119 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective because, unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. A ton to get to today as we need to review the end of the Democratic Convention and whether or not Joe Biden may have, in fact, given Donald Trump a lifeline in this election. Correct. Uh, and we'll also examine whether or not Trump is smart enough uh, and capable enough to take advantage of that lifeline. I doubt it, but we'll examine all of that in a way you will not hear elsewhere. Uh, just a little bit later in this podcast, you will not want to miss that uh, portion of it. But I'll begin with the most recent news, which is the Republican convention. So we have to review the later the end of the Democratic convention. And we now have had the first two days of the Republican convention in the books. And as a lifelong Republican, it was uh, at times very painful to watch the Republican convention turn into essentially the annual meeting of the shareholders of the Trump organization. Correct. That's what this is. I mean, the, 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 this has been uh, we, we knew a long time ago that there had been a coup. That's what the 2016 primary essentially was. It was a coup uh, within the Republican Party. And then that coup took hold when Trump shocked everybody by actually winning the presidency. Well, now that coup is being uh, set in stone. It's being uh, reestablished uh, and, and, and set there forever, that, at least in forever meaning the next uh, couple of election cycles, where uh, the Republican Party of the past is no more and that it is a wholly owned subsidiary 
of the Trump organization. And there's a number of aspects to this issue. As someone who really doesn't have a dog in this fight, I honestly do not know if I'm going to be rooting for anybody. I'm not going to be voting for either Donald Trump or Joe Biden for reasons I've already explained. and I'm sure I'll continue to explain. I'll probably end up making a token vote for the libertarian candidate. Uh, just uh, because I'm a libertarian and I think uh, libertarianism is incredibly important in this day and age, but unfortunately no one seems to agree with me. But I digress. The reality is that uh, this still bothers me uh, as someone who has been a lifelong Republican to see the Republican Party taken over by a corrupt family. And, And this matters not just from the principal standpoint. This matters because it's what the future is going to hold. And, and what Trump is, I believe, purposely doing, let's be clear, you know, in prime time, and prime time is all that really matters. Yes, there's television coverage on minor networks of, of the larger so-called convention. It's not actually a convention really this year because of the pandemic. But the only thing that really matters is that one hour that is carried by all the cable news networks and the major television networks, ABC, CBS, NBC. That hour is all that really matters because that's the only time when so-called nonpartisan or independent or swing voters might be paying attention. And for the first two nights of the Republican Party, uh, quote unquote, convention, it has been dominated by Trump family members, Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, Melania Trump, uh, and of course, Donald Trump. Now, he's obviously the candidate. He's the president. I get that. But this is valuable time. This is valuable time that's being used in large proportions to establish the Trump family as the head of the Republican Party, not just today, but in the future. And the reason why this really matters is if Trump wins, my gosh, the dynasty is set probably the rest of my life. But even if Trump loses, assuming it's not in a complete blowout, I continue to maintain that he's not going away. He's not going away in the short run. He ain't going away in the long run. And if he's healthy enough, he'll be the Republican nominee again in 2024 because he's constitutionally eligible to do so. Uh, So uh, this is a major problem that no Republicans I can see are talking about because that's what partially what makes this podcast unique. I'm someone who has been a Republican my whole life, but I'm horrified by what I've seen. But I'm also not part of the the never Trump professional crowd, which has to be liberal at all costs because I have to dance for my liberal media masters. I don't have to do that. They do. That's why I can tell you the truth and they can't. And the reality of this is very disturbing for the future, if there is one, of the Republican Party. And even if, if I was someone who was rooting for Trump, I would even be upset by this because I believe that he is putting that incentive, that motivation, the family dynasty motivation ahead even of winning this election at all costs because I don't think it's the most effective use of that hour, that incredibly valuable hour of prime time if your goal was just to beat Joe Biden. There are better ways to do that than have Don Jr. or Eric Trump give exceedingly long speeches. Now, their speeches were fine. I'm sure the base loved it, but it didn't move one voter. 
Not one voter decided, wow, you know, boy, I, I, I've been against Trump this whole time, but I saw uh, Don Jr. and Eric Trump and Melania speak, so uh, now I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. Correct. I mean, that, that's just not going to happen. This is about creating a family dynasty. And I believe that there, and I'll get further into this uh, later on, I believe that there have been, at least so far, there's still two nights left, but at least so far there have been a number of opportunities to attack the Democrats and Joe Biden that have not been taken advantage of, at least not the way that they should be, in a ways that would actually impact this election. I've already referenced that I believe that Joe Biden has widely opened the door to a potential Donald Trump massive comeback and upset. We're not anywhere near there yet, but that door has now been opened. And instead of taking advantage of it so far, Trump has prioritized his family, his dynasty, and this takeover, this permanent takeover of the Republican Party. Now, that being said, there were parts of the first two nights I liked. Tim Scott, African-American senator from South Carolina, gave an outstanding speech. Boy, I wish he was either giving it as the candidate himself or maybe on behalf of Nikki Haley, his former governor of South Carolina, who also gave a good speech. So there are still some tiny remnants of what the Republican Party was before the Trump takeover, uh, but they will long be forgotten uh, before the election, and and who knows what the future holds, but hopefully Tim Scott will be part of whatever future there may be. Uh, so there were some good things. I do like the fact that uh, the virus is nowhere near as all-encompassing the Republican convention as it was the Democratic convention. Last night, Melania gave her speech from the White House with a you know fairly significant crowd of people. There were no known, or at least I couldn't see any masks being worn by the crowd that was there live. There was minor social distancing, uh, but it wasn't pervade, pervading every single aspect of the convention production. It was much more free than the Democrats. The Democratic convention was essentially paying constant homage, constant homage to the virus at every single moment, every single frame, making sure that people were always socially distant, always wearing a mask when appropriate, uh, never doing anything to go against the religion that has become the reaction to the pandemic. Um, that's the reality of the Democratic view. And I, I, you know, I get why they do it, because their base views this, whether they realize it or not, I'm sure they don't, as a religion. I mean, I, 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 watching the Democratic convention the whole time, I kept thinking that, that I was watching a religious ceremony where they were having to pay homage to the virus. I can almost hear it like, you know, Sancte. COVID. I mean, that's the best of Latin I got in three years of Latin in, in private Catholic school. But the reality is that they are completely held hostage, the Democrats are, by the pandemic, by the COVID, by the, what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. You're not allowed to break any of the rules. You're not allowed to do anything that would be seen as remotely normal. And I said last week, Democrats, based upon their own restrictions, did a pretty decent job of production for that convention. But those restrictions were absurd. And I think they sent a very negative message, at least subliminally, to the public, especially in comparison 
to what so far the Republican convention has done. And I don't think the Republican convention has gone overboard at all. In fact, for my liking, I would have liked more of this to actually be live and with some semblance of a crowd, especially uh, outside. And, of course, it drove Democrats crazy that a lot of this yesterday, especially, was from the White House. uh, And whether or not uh, that's appropriate, that's a violation of the Hatch Act. Look, I'm sorry, you can't have it both ways. I know you'll try, but you can't say, you know, we can't do anything normal uh, because of the pandemic and then uh, criticize the president because he says, okay, we'll do this outside in the safe confines of the White House. I thought safety was everything. And, you know, there's no indication that anything that happened last night was done unsafely. And so I'm sorry, when you decide that all the rules are out the window, you can't then say, well, wait a minute, you're not following the rules. I mean, that, that's just basic fairness correct? And, and logic. But, of course, everyone's a hypocrite in this day and age. So I, I, I have mixed feelings, very, very mixed feelings about the Republican convention so far. I'm very curious as to how the next two nights will go. I have a, a proposal for what Donald Trump ought to say in his acceptance speech on Thursday that I'll get to momentarily. But first, I want to go back to what the Democrats did. Because what the Democrats did was far worse than just, from a political standpoint, just paying too much homage to the virus. It's what their candidate, Joe Biden, said and what he said during his convention acceptance speech on the last day of the convention, which the media has almost completely ignored. He got lots of applause for this because he didn't vomit on himself. He didn't crap himself. He didn't, uh, you know, he, he wasn't stopping in the middle of his speech, lost where he was. There was no signs of dementia, all that. So therefore, because the expectations are so low, Joe Biden's speech was hailed even on Fox News Channel. But I immediately thought, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Hold on. Joe Biden has just laid the groundwork. He has just sown the seeds for his own potential destruction, unnecessarily so, on the issue of the virus and where we are going from here. This was the larger clip from Joe Biden's acceptance speech where he condemns the Trump administration for their handling of this. And then he very dramatically, by far the most dramatic and emphatic line in the entire speech, declares that no miracle is coming with regard to the virus. And here's what that sounded like last week. Is it didn't have to be this bad. Just look around. It's not this bad in Canada or Europe or Japan almost anywhere else in the world. And the president keeps telling us the virus is going to disappear. He keeps waiting for a miracle. Well, I have news for him. No miracle is coming. We lead the world in confirmed cases. We lead the world in deaths. Our economy is in tatters with black, Latino, Asian American, Native American communities bearing the brunt of it. And after all this time, the president still does not have a plan. Well, I do. If I'm your president on day one, we'll implement the national strategy I've been laying out since March. All right. Now, I'm going to sound like a Trump supporter here, uh, and I'm not. I'm just someone that looks at these things very, very objectively, maybe more objectively than anyone else. And what Joe Biden did right there, a guy, by the way, I have said from the beginning is, is the person who should be the Democratic presidential nominee. 
uh, angered me on uh, numerous levels. Uh, and it's not just because I think he made a misstep that was unnecessary that makes him vulnerable to losing this election. Uh, he uh, has distorted reality in, in a lot of ways. And so if I was working for the Trump campaign, my reaction to that would be, first of all, uh, the idea that we're the worst in the world is absurd. Uh, we have the most cases because we have the most testing. We have the most testing because people like Joe Biden and Democrats insisted, rightfully, that we needed to do more testing. We have done by far more tests than anybody else in the world. We also have one of the largest populations in the world. We also have a very liberal definition of what it means to have died with the coronavirus. We also have very heavily populated cities. We also have an obese population, which we're not allowed to talk about, which is a huge element in how vulnerable we are to this particular virus. And even with all of that, we are nowhere near the worst. And as far as his plan, this really angered me. His plan, my plan is to implement what we were going to do in March. Well, let's forget about what his plan is, which is non-existent. I'll get to that momentarily. But but just think about how absurd what he just said is, what you just heard him say is. I want to go back to March. I want to go back to March. It's not March anymore. It is not March. It is near the end of August. The reality now is completely different than it was in March. We know far more now than we did in March. Almost everything we thought in March was wrong. Not to mention that by the very nature of the virus, uh, you know, using the analogy of the horse going out of the barn, you can't go back to March. Things that, by the way, March, even March would have been too late. So I'll, I'll, you know, maybe January or February could have theoretically, uh, you know, had some impact at the very beginning of all this. But he said March, so let's use March. Going back to March does absolutely no good. You're, you're going to redo something you can't redo. You don't get to go back in time. You decide, and I'm a big believer in this in all aspects of life, you don't make decisions in life based upon where you were or where you thought you'd be or where you should be. You make decisions based upon where you currently are. And Joe Biden doesn't want to do that. This goes back to something I talked about last week in the podcast. This is very consistent with him saying or him deciding, I believe, that uh, guess what? We're going to have to show off to the world. We're going to have to redo all this. We're going to have to show everybody how good at a lockdown or a shutdown we, the Democrats, are. So we're going to redo the whole thing based upon a completely different set of reality, a completely different set of data, completely different set of understandings of what this virus is about, who's vulnerable, how to handle it, etc. No, no, we're going to redo it. We're going to start from scratch and pretend that we're in the same situation we were in March so that we can prove to you how much better we are at this than Donald Trump. And by the way, we're still many months, we're four or five months away from Joe Biden even being president. We're, we're almost as far from him being president as we are from the beginning of the pandemic. It's almost exactly the same amount of time period. And think about how much has changed since then and how much we've learned and how much is likely to change in January. Yet he's telling you he wants to pretend 
It's March. And what is his great plan? What is his great plan? Um, more masks. More masks. That's what his great plan is. More cowbell. That's what's that's the Joe Biden plan. Correct. Give us more masks, even though masks have shown absolutely no sign of working whatsoever. When you look at the data, mask mandates have done nothing in many, many states. And and there's too many for me to even name. But I live in one, California, where the data got far worse after our mandates, significantly after our mask mandates in Los Angeles and statewide. And that's been consistent throughout the United States of America. But that's that's really his only plan is I want to do a mask mandate across the entire country, regardless of how much virus they've had, how much, whether they've gotten through it, whether or not they haven't gotten through it yet, what the inflection rate is. Doesn't matter. He wants one size fits all, probably illegal federal mask mandate. That's his great plan, which, again, if masks worked, which I don't believe that they do, but if they did, The time to do that was in February, maybe March. And this is why I don't trust the experts on masks, because back in February and March, even Dr. Fauci was telling us, eh, eh, masks don't really work. Don't worry about it. Correct. I mean, that's what's so amazing about this. The only reason why the scientific establishment changed their mind on masks is because the politics changed. They never imagined 60 percent of the American people would be in favor of mask mandates. And that's why Joe Biden is saying this, because he knows it's very, very popular with his base. And the and his pollsters are telling him it's popular with the general public, although I still don't believe it's as popular as the polls would indicate. I think this is a virtue signaling situation and that nobody really wants to be wearing a mask long term. But Joe Biden has his great plan is that five months from now, when he's president, we're all going to mask up, having no idea what the status of the virus is going to be in five months. Not to mention that that's something that may or may not have done something back in March of 2020. And as angry as all that obviously makes me, the line of the speech that most horrified me from a political standpoint, because this made no sense to me at all. And if I was the Trump team, I would be jumping all over this in a massive way is what Joe Biden said about the virus in particular and where it is heading from right now when he said there are no miracles coming. Well, I have news for him. No miracle is coming. Now, from a purely political standpoint, why would you say that? What do you gain from saying that? Who is the genius who decided, you know, let's stick that line in the speech? Because if you're somebody who believes that we're doomed by the virus, that this thing is never going away and that it's here to stay And my God, Trump has been completely wrong about it from the beginning, even though he's been taking the advice from someone the Democrats love, Dr. Fauci or Fraudchi, as I now refer to him. Uh, But if you're in that category, if you believe that, one, by the way, you're you're not a religious person because you don't believe in miracles. By the way, I'm not a religious person. I don't believe in, quote unquote, miracles. But a lot of people in this country do. And, and if you're somebody who thinks, you know, miracles are not possible, so you're not a religious person, and you believe that the virus is here forever and that we're all doomed and this is a catastrophe and it's the worst thing that's ever happened and it's never going to get better, 
you're voting for Joe Biden already. You're not voting for Donald Trump. Correct. So why in the world would you say that? That's number one. Number two, you are effectively, you are effectively investing yourself, if you're Joe Biden, by saying that, you're investing yourself in rooting for the virus, right? Because what happens if there is a quote-unquote miracle? What happens if, like in Sweden, this thing all of a sudden disappears because of apparently herd immunity? What happens then? You're done if Trump handles this properly, which, of course, is a big if. But, but why in the world would you say something like that? You're essentially making a prediction. You're making a prediction. You're putting your, your presidential candidacy on the line by saying this ain't going to get better significantly before the election. And when I look at the data and when I look at the data, not just in the United States, but around the world, I think there is an incredibly strong argument to be made that that is far from certain. I think that if the big if here is has Sweden reached herd immunity? We've talked a lot about Sweden on this podcast. Sweden got incredibly vilified at the beginning, and now the media has largely moved on because they destroyed Sweden. And now that nobody essentially is dying in Sweden, hasn't been for over a month, they've just decided to forget about it. Well, we already destroyed Sweden. We're not going to revisit our narrative that we created about them. If Sweden was able to reach herd immunity with effectively the same death rate, even with older deaths, the average age of death in Sweden is 86. Now, granted, they're a healthier population, and there are a lot of other factors involved in this, but, but their population uh, of deaths... Their pool of deaths was among the oldest, if not the oldest, in the world. People have stopped dying there. If, in fact, they have reached herd immunity at a rate far less than what the so-called experts told us was going to be the case, 60 or 70 percent of the population, if they've done it at 20, 25, 30 percent of the population, if that's true, and no one has given me any other explanation, I, I don't know whether or not Sweden has reached herd immunity. I know that what's happened there demands an explanation. It demands an explanation that no one in science is willing to give. Nobody. I've asked many times, please, somebody tell me, explain to me why no one is dying in Sweden. Why? Why did it just go away? Why is their death right now effectively the same as the United States of America? And similarly, why is no one dying in New York? Why is no one dying in New Jersey? Why is almost no one dying in Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, places that were hard hit? Why are the, why are the deaths soon going to go away in Arizona, which just got very hard hit? Why? It's not masks, folks. It's not masks. If it's herd immunity in Sweden, then it's herd immunity in New York and especially northern New Jersey, which is essentially New York City. And if that's the case, then this current downtrend in cases and yes, now slowly in deaths is real and it's going to keep going that way. And 
We still have enough time before the election, although I think it's going to be close. It's going to be an interesting race because the media is going to fight this. If this is the way it goes, the media is going to fight this tooth and nail. They're going to pretend this was all masks, which is bullshit. They're going to pretend it didn't happen. They're going to pretend it's about to turn around at every, any moment. But there's a really good chance, based upon my current reading of the data and other people who I respect their reading of the data that aren't part of the, the group think, and even some you know significant experts are saying the same thing. Even the New York Times had to acknowledge, what if herd immunity comes at a lower threshold than we previously thought? I'm sure that person... It's probably been suspended from the New York Times or, or at least been uh, you know, reprimanded in some way because that was against the narrative. But they also showed me they're starting to get scared. This would be the most colossal mistake in the history of modern science. If they blew this all because they thought herd immunity comes at 60 or 70 percent, it actually comes at 20 or 30 percent. That was the basis for all this, for all of this. And if Sweden has hit herd immunity... The United States is cl getting close. Portions of the United States is probably already hit it because what's the other explanation? What's the other explanation for this? It's, it's not because we closed restaurants and started wearing masks by state mandate. It's not it. If it was, the data would look 100% different. Masks would, would create an immediate but gradual effect on the data. Instead, what we see is an exceedingly late, way too late, in fact, mostly an increase after a mask mandate, and then several weeks, if not a month or two later, now all of, a sudden, all of a sudden we see a dramatic drop. That's not the way a mask impact would work. That is, however, exactly how a herd immunity impact would work. So again, I don't want to make clear, I don't think anyone knows for sure, is this herd immunity? But if it is... If it is, Joe Biden just set himself up by claiming no miracle is coming. But he only set himself up if Trump is able to take advantage. And he is poorly situated to do so. One, because he's not smart. Uh, Correct. And because he has no credibility. Correct. So because he has no credibility with the public and he's not smart enough, and I don't think his advisors fully get this, I doubt he's going to be able to to take advantage of this. But it wasn't just the no miracle is coming. Biden then double or triple down on that in his interview with ABC's David Muir with Kamala Harris, which aired on Sunday night on ABC, which got no media buzz at all. I found that to be astonishing. There, his first interview of any significance in a long time, first interview with his VP candidate Kamala Harris, and there was no buzz at all. I found that very odd, especially coming right out of the convention. But Biden decided to double or triple down on this whole issue and said clearly, although some have tried to defend him and saying this isn't what he really meant, clearly indicating to me that when he's president, un unless things are really amazingly better than they currently are, and even then I'm not so sure, he's going to shut down America once again. And here's what that sounded like. I would be prepared to do whatever it takes to save lives because we cannot get the country moving until we control the virus. That is the fundamental flaw of this administration's thinking to begin with. 
In order to keep the country running and moving and the economy growing and people employed, you have to fix the virus. You have to deal with the virus. So if the scientists say, shut it down? I would shut it down. I would listen to the scientists. Now, that I would listen to the scientists sounds like a significant caveat, except it's not. Because we already know who the scientists are, who Biden's going to be listening to. We already know their predilections. We already know their incentives. We already know their philosophies. And we already know how deeply, deeply, deeply invested, deeply invested they are in the original lockdown. That it must be seen as legitimate and effective. And therefore, they're going to be more than willing. It sounds counterintuitive. But when you become that invested in anything, the, the less effective it is, the more you double and triple down on it, whether it's masks or whatever, because you cannot possibly comprehend that you were wrong. So it's just you just need more of the same. It's more cowbell. Give us more cowbell, as Christopher Walken once said on Saturday Night Live. That's the that's the solution here. If it's not working, we need more masks. If, if, if we, we need more shutdown because we are invested in the idea that shutdowns work. And so don't be fooled by this idea that somehow, well, it's only if the scientists tell him that. No, no, that's exactly what the scientists are going to tell him that. And and the, this business about I will do everything to save all lives or something to that effect. No, no, that is not your job. That is not your job as president of the United States to shut down life, to save all lives. Otherwise, if it was you, the first thing every president would do would be banning all automobile travel. And yes, that analogy is far better than the left likes to pretend that it is. But John, car accidents aren't contagious. Oh, really? You ever heard of a multi-car accident? You ever heard of a passenger getting killed by a driver? in an accident they had nothing to do with? Really? You don't think it's contagious? Not to mention that that's not the analogy. The analogy is about risk assessment. It's about risk assessment. And so I don't think Biden gets it. I really do not think he understands the reality of the virus. I think he is getting bad advice. I think that he is bought into this bullcrap narrative. And I don't trust him. I do not trust him once he's president to, uh, to do the right thing. I, I really do not. His mask mandate, his uh, no miracles coming, I would shut it down. All combined, to me, the reaction is, You cannot be serious! And it's not based upon the fact I hate lockdowns. It's based upon where we currently are and where we appear to be heading with regard to the virus. He's stuck in March. And, you know, let me give you another example. This sounds like a really small thing. But it really made me lose a lot of respect for Joe Biden, a guy I like, a guy who, again, I will say it as many times as necessary. I was the guy who at the very beginning said, if you want to beat Donald Trump, it's got to be Joe Biden. Joe Biden is the safest choice. I still think he's going to beat Donald Trump. I still I still think he wasn't the worst choice among Democrats, either from a, a, a philosophical perspective, because the choices were so incredibly bad. But uh, I, I do not trust him on this issue. The world obviously changed because of this pandemic. There, let me give you another example. During the first night of the Republican convention, right in the middle of it, Joe Biden tweeted 
he tweeted, it didn't have to be this bad. And then it was a chart, a chart of cases in the United States, coronavirus cases in the United States, with the image of Donald Trump walking across the chart like he was Bigfoot or something, which was weird. But, but more importantly than that, what really shocked me and, and made me lose respect for Joe Biden was what the chart was. It was a chart that you know showed a, a, a line basically going straight up into the air. You know what the chart was? The chart was cumulative coronavirus cases in the United States. Not deaths per day or cases per day. No, no, no. Cumulative. You know what cumulative means? Cumulative means it can never go down because you're adding each day how many more cases there are. So the line is always going to be straight up into the air, depending on uh, to, to what degree or how many cases are being added on any particular day. But here's the real rub of this. The reason why the line is so dramatically getting higher is because of increased testing. Without increased testing, which no one else is in the whole world is testing like we are, there would not be the same trajectory of the line. And why is there increased testing? Because Democrats, rightfully, were screaming, literally screaming for more testing. And so now everybody who wants a test can get one. Although, weirdly, the CDC is now saying, guess what? If you're asymptomatic, don't bother getting a test. What the hell is that? You cannot be serious. I, I, I mean, Democrats are trying to claim this is a, a political maneuver by the CDC. I don't buy that the CDC is somehow in the, in the back pocket of Donald Trump. They've done a lot of things that have not been helpful to Donald Trump. So I don't know how that decision was made. I, I'm not against the idea that somehow Trump uh, had some influence over that because he wants testing to go down. Uh, but I don't. my gut tells me that's not the case. My gut tells me is they've realized that asymptomatic cases are not nearly as big a deal as we had feared. And that, therefore, if you don't have symptoms, there's no reason to get tested, I, which is an amazing revelation. But I digress. So this chart... This chart was bogus, and it's blaming the president for something he has very little to do with. The, the, the premise that Donald Trump is the reason why the virus hit us the way that it has is, is not founded in reality. Could he have done things differently? Obviously, yes. Made huge mistakes, especially at the beginning when he, he did not take it seriously enough. He created the impression it was not that big of a deal. Uh, he used the word hoax. Uh, I, he was wrong about a lot of his predictions. I get all that. But guess what? Lots of people were wrong. Dr. Fauci was wrong. The lot, Dr. Fauci said a lot of the same things that Trump did at, at differing times. And people all over the world made mistakes here. Uh, so I, I really, as much as I despise Trump, I hate it when people get blamed for things that they have very little of anything to do with. And, and, and that tweet by Joe Biden really showed me that he doesn't get it. He understand. He does not understand where we are in this thing or how we got there, and that has uh, devastating uh, an impact uh, because he's the guy who's likely going to be at the helm uh, in five months. And uh, you know, and if he if he's if he shuts us down again, uh, God help us all. Uh, and I think that that's a very very likely scenario, uh, especially given how invested everybody, including the news media, is in all this. So I wrote a column about this 
issue of Biden opening the door for Trump to have a shot here. I've said for for months now that Trump is a heavy, heavy underdog. Uh, it, it went as low as 10 percent chance for him to be reelected. It's slightly higher than that right now. We'll update it at the end of the podcast. But that this this maneuver by Biden that I just articulated, these the several steps, I believe, has thrown Donald Trump a lifeline. Now, I, I want to say this is kind of a funny element of the column for media, which you can find at our Twitter feed, which is at individual one pod. The New York Times published a column by Brent Stevens, their semi-conservative columnist. Later that day, I, I published this Monday morning after having tweeted several elements of it over the previous days. Brent Stevens ran a column in the New York Times Monday night that was basically the same column. Now, that doesn't mean it was plagiarism. I, I'm not one that believes every time that someone repeats something I say that it's plagiarism. I think that's narcissistic and delusional. But go to my Twitter page or the, the Twitter, page, Twitter page for Individual One Pod and judge for yourself. There are a lot of people who have read these two columns and do consider it to be, uh, pl- quote-unquote, plagiarism. I'm not making that charge officially, but it's pretty remarkable how similar the two columns were, except for a unique aspect of my column, which I'm going to share now which is how I think Trump would be or could be able to take advantage of this lifeline if his ego was not completely out of all proportion, that if he had any perspective, that if he was willing to admit any mistakes at all, that he would have the ability to fully take advantage of the opportunity Joe Biden just gave to him. And I've said for months that one of the biggest political problems that Donald Trump has with the virus is he can't pick a virus narrative that works for him. And he can't do it largely because of his ego and his unwillingness to admit that he was wrong. He's still obsessed, obsessed. His narrative currently is, I saved two million lives by shutting us down nationwide when I did and how I did. Well, That's just not true. It's just flat out ridiculous. It's a lie. Uh, And it's not just a lie because there's now no logic whatsoever, whatsoever, that the lockdowns saved, quote unquote, two million American lives. You know, the projections were we would have over two million deaths. I think it scared the living crap out of Trump. I think he lost his balls at that particular moment. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. And he handed over his presidency to Dr. Fauci. And I, and I understand that. I, I can understand if I was president and someone who was an alleged expert who I respected mistakenly at the time because I didn't realize what a moron he was and how invested in a myth- mythological narrative he is. They told me over two million Americans were going to die in short order. I would probably do what they told me to do. I, w- I, I get that. But when I realized later that that was all bullshit, that that was never going to happen, that we now know from the data, not just here, but around the whole world, that nowhere in the world has anyone come close to a death rate that would have resulted in over 2 million Americans dying. And that, oh, by the way, the median average death in America is 80 years old, well past life expectancy. The 180,000 that have currently, quote unquote, died of or with coronavirus. Once I realized that I had been duped, 
either on purpose or by mistake, and I'm willing to say it's a mistake. Once I realized that, I would change course. I would go, oh, wait a minute, hold on, wait, okay, my bad, I, uh, this was a mistake, a mistake we're not going to repeat. But Trump can't do that because his ego won't let him. His ego is now invested in this idea he saved 2 million lives, and that's going to greatly curtail his ability to take advantage of the lifeline that Joe Biden just handed him. Now, if I was advising the Trump campaign, yes, I know that's hilarious, although it's weird, oftentimes things I suggest Trump ends up doing, at least in some part. If I was advising him, this is the speech or this is the key part of the speech I would have him give on Thursday. Again, let's be clear, it's not going to happen. One, because he's not smart enough, and two, because his ego is far too large. Correct. But here's, here's the speech he ought to give, and if he did, I believe it would set him up for victory in November. Here it is. When this pandemic began, hoping for the best, I was dismissive of it. That was wrong, and I apologize. Then if he wasn't struck by lightning at that point, he would continue. Then I was told by our experts that if we didn't take unprecedented actions, over 2 million Americans would soon die. This result was totally unacceptable to me, so I dramatically shifted course. While I did the best I could to mitigate the damage that the entire world has suffered from this horrible illness, and we did a lot of good things, we could have done better, and I, re I take responsibility for that reality. However, we now know, partly thanks to the brave people of Sweden, that thankfully those experts were also very wrong. This virus, while a horrible fact of life, was never going to cause that catastrophic medical damage on which our national lockdown was based. Consequently, following sound science, data, and logic, we need to shift our course once again. Joe Biden says if he wins, he wants to act in January of 2021 as if it is still March of 2020. He says he will shut life down again if the same experts who were wrong before Tell him to do so now. I promise you, if I am elected, that will not happen. Joe Biden has told you that no miracle is coming, but that is not true. And that statement has him now effectively invested in rooting politically for the virus. I'm rooting against the virus, and I believe that we are very close to winning this battle. New advancements in treatment, the growing evidence that herd immunity is far more easily attainable than previously thought, and a vaccine which is coming at record pace are going to soon prove Joe Biden and his followers very wrong. When that happens, remember who the pessimist is and who the optimist is. Remember who is charting the path forward based upon where we are today. And who is pretending that time stopped in March? Remember who wants you to be able to live your life as a free American and get our economy moving again? And who wants to be able to force you to wear a mask into perpetuity? Remember who called for our schools to be opened and football to be played? And who, is, who gutlessly stayed silent while his political allies largely sabotaged both efforts? Remember who was right and who was wrong? And finally, when the fake news media tells you that things got better, finally, because the mask mandate suddenly worked months later, remember that what really happened was that nature has finally taken its course, just like I told you it would. Now, that speech is not going to happen. But if it did, it would be an earthquake. 
it would send shockwaves through the media and the public. And the apology part of it would really be only for the purposes of getting people to open their minds. Again, I'm looking at this as objectively as humanly possible as a guy who hates Donald Trump, but who is just explaining to you the political realities of where we are and what could still theoretically happen and how Donald Trump could still win this election. And, you know, I have zero expectation that anything like that is going to happen because, frankly, the first two nights of the convention have only barely touched upon this. I I think they have completely missed the boat uh, with regard to pounding this issue of Joe Biden being the shutdown candidate, that Joe Biden being the pessimist. They have touched on this part, him being the pessimist, him betting on the virus. Trump ought to be saying, I'm betting against the virus. Because I think where the data is going in the next couple of months is going to end up proving him belatedly and accidentally correct and that he could theoretically take advantage of that, that Biden made an unforced error, an error that exposed where he and his advisors really are on this thing, how wrong they are and in what incredibly dangerous and wrong direction they would take us if he was president of the United States. So I'm sure that pissed off a lot of people who want me to be far more anti-Trump. But this podcast is unique in that it is honest in all and every possible way and objective from every possible perspective. Because I hate everybody now. I hate everybody. Uh, there, there, I, 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 I don't even have a, there's barely a scenario that I'm even rooting for now. The, I mean, if you gave me a perfect scenario, I would say, all right, uh, Biden wins by a comfortable enough margin where Trump can't claim that the election was rigged or that he actually won, but somehow Republicans maintain the Senate and maybe pick up a few seats in the House so that the message is clear that we don't want another shutdown and Biden can't run amok uh, with no restrictions. That would probably be the closest thing to a scenario I would be rooting for in this election. That is unrealistic. It doesn't make a lot of sense that Trump would lose a big uh, uh, by a big margin or a significant margin and Republicans still be able to hold on to the Senate and pick up seats in the House. So that's an unrealistic, it's theoretically possible, but an unrealistic uh, scenario. So, you know, I, I have no idea uh, what realistic scenario I would be hoping for. I'm just calling balls and strikes. I'm just telling you like it is. And Trump still has a lot of other problems. I mean, my gosh. We've already forgotten about it, but his campaign manager from 2016, Steve Bannon, just got arrested for fraud regarding his Build the Wall organization. And boy, it couldn't happen to a bigger jackass than Steve Bannon. I mean, I know a lot of people in Steve Bannon's orbit, they all hate his guts. And, uh, you know, I I presume he's guilty. I don't know he's guilty. Uh, But the reality is, uh, you know, couldn't happen to a, a bigger asshole than Steve Bannon. Uh, and, and ironically, I think Steve Bannon would probably give Trump similar advice to what I just gave him. But Bannon's not going to be around uh, to give it. Uh, there's also a, a group of uh, Republican former administration officials who are organizing against Trump. Uh, he's lost Kellyanne Conway because uh, she has left the White House finally. Uh, interestingly, her husband, who's been very anti-Trump, George Conway, a member of the Lincoln Pot Project, he's also leaving public life because they've been having clear problems with their teenage daughter. I found that interesting. The teen- That's how powerful a, an angry teenage daughter is. It's more powerful than the impeachment of the president of the United States. 
Kellyanne Conway and George Conway could survive impeachment, but they cannot survive their teenage daughter going on a an, an online uh, internet uh, rant uh, against them, uh, and uh, I, I wish them the best with their family. Obviously, um, there's been a lot of attention over the last couple of days regarding the situation in Wisconsin and the shooting of a black man named James Blake. And, of course, there's immediate uh, allusions to the George Floyd situation. There's been protests around the country. Uh, Some have gotten pretty violent. Uh, There's been some shootings. There's been some really uh, highly inappropriate videos. And this seems to be almost like Groundhog Day, where we have this video that looks really terrible, where police appear to be Uh, doing something that's horrendous. Now, Blake has not yet died. He appears to be paralyzed. He was shot seven times in the back. But I got to tell you, um, the video, as horrible as it seems at first glance, I I think is theoretically defensible. Now, we don't know all the details, and I hate the fact that we now, you know, we see these videos and we immediately rush to judgment and people start rioting before they even know what the hell's going on. It's amazing how how things have devolved in this realm. I'm, I'm speaking to you from just outside of Los Angeles, where in the early 90s, there was the horrendous Rodney King beating, right? A, a video that was just horrendous. There weren't real riots until after the verdict. After the verdict. Many months later. Now, we just skip that part. We skip a trial. We go right to the rioting. Well, we have no idea what the facts are. But can we just, just well, on Blake, my first reaction to the Blake video is, can we at least acknowledge that when you're being told by police officers to stop for whatever reason, we don't know the details as to why, but clearly he's being told to stop and he walks around an SUV to go into the driver's side of the SUV to where the cops have no idea what's in the car. They don't know if there's a gun in the car, a knife in the car. By the way, the car itself is a weapon. I mean, when you're being told, stop, by police, they already have their weapons out. And you go into the driver's side of a car, you're, even if you don't have a gun or a knife in there, the car itself is a potential weapon in this situation. So... That doesn't mean the guy ought to be killed, but I'm sorry. What is the police officer supposed to do in that situation? There's at least a scenario where that's defensible, but that doesn't matter anymore because, you know, it's a horrendous video and it's a good excuse to riot. uh, And so we're going to take it. Interestingly, we're now finding out far too late. And this is a lot like the coronavirus, a lot like the coronavirus. And I've seen it happen in other stories. We're now finding out that the George Floyd story which started all this madness months ago in, in Minnesota, is far more ambiguous and complex than it appeared at first. There's, there's new information out now about the autopsy that indicates to me George Floyd, as bad as that video is, was not murdered. You can call it a lot of things. It was not murdered. There's, there's no evidence, according to the autopsy, that asphyxiation was his cause of death, that he had enormous amounts of drugs in his system, and he had other issues. It was a confluence of events, and unfortunately, it resulted in his death. That doesn't mean what the police officers did was right, but it's not murder, which is what one of them is currently charged with. 
which is, in, in my view now, based upon the evidence, it's... It's just flat-out ridiculous. And it's, and it's potentially tragic. Uh, and now, of course, some jury is going to be forced uh, by pressure to convict them of something probably close to murder because of all the public pressure and the fear of the reaction of a, uh, like in the Rodney King case, of a quote-unquote negative verdict. And, and, that, and we also learn now that the, the autopsy that I told you at the time by the family done by Dr. Michael Bodden, who's a first-class fraud, a complete media whore, was as big a joke as I told you it would be. So that we're now learning way after the fact, guess what? The source of all that, the riots, not nearly what we thought it was, not nearly what, what we uh, feared that it was, that if we'd waited for all the facts, there probably wouldn't have been nearly the same kind of reaction to it. And I'm getting the same sense of feeling from James, the James Blake situation. But there was a fascinating moment on CNN last night where Don Lemon, who happens to be a black man, anchor on CNN, is talking to Chris Cuomo, whose brother, Andrew Cuomo, is the governor, the Democratic governor of New York and a, a media darling. So they're two obvious liberals, right? But, and, and even as obvious liberals, it was stunning to see Don Lemon let the mask fall, and for him to now openly worry on behalf of the Democratic Party and Joe Biden's campaign, and you'll hear Chris Cuomo agreeing with him, openly worrying that the riots are not helpful politically. Politically. They're urging the riots to stop because of the fear of the political impact on behalf of Donald Trump, and here's what that sounded like. The rioting has to stop. Chris, as you know and I know, it's showing up in the polling. Mm -hmm. It's showing up in focus groups. It is the only thing, it is the only thing right now that is sticking. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I think that what is potentially sticking to a some degree and could much more so if the virus data changes in the way that I anticipate that it will, is the Democratic overreach on shutdowns, masks, everything else, what have you. I don't think that we're seeing dramatic evidence of it in the polls yet, uh, but I do think that's part of whatever movement there may or may not be in the polling, which I'll get to momentarily. But that is, that is a really remarkable moment when two CNN anchors are openly commiserating about their fears of what the riots are going to do politically and whether or not it will help Donald Trump. As far as the polling is concerned, here's the big headline. There's a whole mess of polls out today. Here's the big headline that the media will completely ignore. We now know for sure that the bump for the Kamala Harris vice presidential pick is exactly zero. Zero bump for the Kamala Harris pick. Correct. In fact, it might even have hurt Joe Biden slightly. And you have to remember, at least some of what we're picking up in the polls out today has already baked into the cake the Democratic convention from last week. Now, I'm not going to make a declaration on whether there's no bounce from the Democratic convention yet. And it's going to be very, 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 very difficult to discern whether there's any convention bounce uh, from the Democrats because this is an unprecedented situation where Republicans are following the next week. Usually there's, there's a delay. There's a gap in between the two conventions. And you can see, okay, what impact did the convention have? 
but there's been zero bounce from the Harris pick. No indication yet of a convention bounce from last week. And it'll be fascinating to see whether or not things actually go in the other direction by next week or 10 days from now, uh, once the Republican convention is then also baked into the cake. Now, that doesn't mean that Joe Biden is in big trouble. If the election were today, based upon the polling that I have seen, I've looked at it very closely, Joe Biden would win. He would win a fairly substantial electoral college victory. However, he would not win each of those key states by very much at all. Joe Biden has not sealed the deal in the key states. There are about seven states that are going to matter. By the way, and I I continue to say that college football could play a role in this, four of those key states, if not five of them, are Big Ten football states that are not going to have football this year because of largely liberal academics and politicians after Donald Trump came out in favor of playing football. And there's a good chance they're going to have to watch the southern portion of the country play college football. I think that's going to have an impact. But right now, as if the election was today, Biden would win, but he has very small margins in those six or seven key states. And so Trump still has a pulse. Bottom line, no bump for Harris. No indication yet of a bump from the convention that could still happen. It's too early to know. And Trump still has a pulse with this ticking time bomb that Joe Biden planted on behalf of Trump by saying that, Well, I have news for him. No miracle is coming. That's a ticking time bomb if Trump uses it properly. If the data continues to go in the direction it looks like. This is going to happen next week, by the way. It's going to take several weeks. It's going to be five, six weeks. But right in the middle of October, and I'll be the first to admit I'm wrong, based upon where things currently appear to be going, we're going to be looking at a very different set of data points in the key point of first, second week of October. And if that's the case uh, and you know the economy is making a comeback, I think Biden's in trouble. Doesn't mean he's going to lose. It, what it means is we're heading for what I've always said is the worst possible scenario, a very close Trump loss where he does not accept the defeat he uh, then potentially doesn't even agree to leave the White House, and then all bets are off. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? Uh, and uh, that's just the worst possible scenario, as I've been saying for over a year. Right now, that looks to me like where we're headed, because Democrats have so overplayed their hand. I believe that unless the virus reverses itself from its current trajectory, I think the total blowout scenario is looking much less likely on Biden's behalf. Biden wins, but Biden doesn't win by a blowout right now. That's where it looks like going forward from here. Uh, But it's still very much in play. I'm going to change the percentage chances of uh, Trump being reelected to 20%. That's a slight uptick. Uh, But it could go higher. It could go higher fast if the virus numbers go in the direction that I anticipate and others also anticipate going forward. And... Trump is able to use that effectively, which I don't believe he will. Uh, uh, So this is, you know, even if that happens, it's not going to be a slam dunk for Trump because he'll screw it up. He'll step all over himself. The media is going to try 
to muddy the water as much as possible. They're going to claim that masks were the reason that the virus finally belatedly uh, faded away. All that will be bullshit. Uh, But uh, I think it would still work largely in uh, Trump's favor. But we'll see. It's going to get interesting and it could get dangerous. Uh, Until next time, next week, next Wednesday, uh, please remember to uh, subscribe, rate, review, and share this uh, podcast via social media. It's much appreciated. And follow us on Twitter at individual, the number one pod. That's at individual, the number one pod. Until next time, my name is John Ziegler. This is the Global Story Network. (laughs) 